It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. It's the best way you can help me out. And of course, yes, listen to the podcast as well. Now, if you would like to, uh, you know, elevate your sponsorship or your support, I should say, for the show, then you go to the website, thepetecalendarshow.com, and you become a patron. Click the link up at the top, just like Gene and Ben did. Alan, Ron, Juanita, Pamela, Stephen, Nancy, Jim and Robbie, Jan, Daryl, they all became patrons of the show. They got uh, exclusive access to content and they get some swag and uh, and they help keep the show going. And I really appreciate it. I could not uh, thank you all more than I do every single show. It's, what, it's the least I can do. Uh, the show is also made possible by great local partners like Mattress Man. And when I first started up the podcast, Chuck, the owner of Mattress Man Stores, four of them in the Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville uh, locations, and uh, he said, what can I do to help? He had been with me when I was on the radio, and when I launched the podcast, he says, we got to support each other, we got to support our neighbors, and he wanted to be a part of this, and I'm forever grateful and indebted for him so please if you're thinking about getting a mattress head on over to mattress man or go to the website mattress man stores yes they got great deals yes they have fantastic mattresses they've got the Biltmore collection exclusively at mattress man these are the mattresses that are at the hotel and the inn that are on the grounds of the Biltmore estate they're made by restonic which are, are made in Fayetteville so they're North Carolina made uh, again great deals 50% off uh, queens and kings while supplies last these are the 2920 sleep mattresses you also can um, pick up uh, up to 60% off select floor models in stock inventory as well they've got a blowout sale going on for hybrid mattresses so go check out the website mattressmanstores.com uh, and uh, remember they have five-star local delivery service they ship nationwide and a 120-day comfort guarantee okay so you can't lose and you're supporting the show you're also supporting a really great local business that supports veterans which is pretty important. They go and they, like Chuck, actively seeks out veterans to hire at his stores. Um, when the local shelter needed beds, he was there to help them give them the mattresses for the shelter folks. So uh, that's the kind of heart he has, the kind of guy he is, and it's the kind of business he runs. So you, it's worth your support. Experience the difference. Go to Mattress Man, buy local, and sleep better. Joining me now is Gretchen Smith. She's a U.S. Air Force veteran and the founder of Code of Vets. You can see her work at codeofvets.com. And uh, Gretchen, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Pete. Thanks for having me and sharing our mission. Sure, uh, certainly. So I've been following you on Twitter for a while. I've seen your work, so I'm aware of what you do. But for folks who aren't aware of what Code of Vets is, uh, tell them and us what the uh, what the organization is all about. Well, we operate on on social media, and, and we primarily operate on Twitter. I started a Twitter page to honor my dad and my dad's life and his journey as a veteran, and it exploded in growth. It re really resonated in the veteran community on social media, and it just it really took off. So I brought in a partner, Dr. Cindy Walter, and we started taking on the needs of veterans that, that they had been sharing with me as we progressed and grew. And what we do is we vet each veteran. They'll fill out a vet and need form, go through our website. And once she has vetted the veteran and the situation, she passes them on to me. And I raise the funds by posting their name, the place where they're from, the town and the state, 
uh, and give a little bit of uh, information about their journey. And we raised the funds one veteran at a time. And we've hit $2 million alone this year um, with a 2% operating cost while we've been assisting these veterans. Which is phenomenal, by the way. Congratulations. That's uh, fantastic on the amount of money, but also the operating cost. As one, like when I donate money to charities, I usually will ask them, like, how much of this money is going to operations, how much is going to overhead. And I understand there's going to be some overhead, I, you know, obviously. Um, but when I start hearing numbers in the 60%, 70% range, it's like, I don't know if I want to give my money to that organization. So 2%, am I interpreting that correctly? That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. So we, we're all volunteers, the whole team. Uh, we, you know, run it from our homes. And again, since we're on social media, there's no brick and mortar and that minimizes the overhead. We run lean and it truly is about the veterans. Veterans, We try to get as much funds to them as possible. So we're able to get it to 98%. We, again, like you said, there are bills that we, we can't avoid as a 501c3. So we've got to pay those. But anyway, I'm, I'm incredibly proud Pete, of what we've created. And it's, it's, it's unique, but the, the the great thing about it is it's effective. Mm-hmm. So the um, tell us a little bit about this idea just to do it on social media. Was that uh, was that a conscious decision? Was that just born of necessity? Did you say, well, you know what, this is how I started, and this is working fine. Let's not change it. So how did, was that a was that like a a, a conscious decision at the beginning? You know what, Pete? It, it was not planned. I did not <laughs> set out to, to run a 501c3. I, you know, I started a Twitter page to honor my dad. I lost my dad to his battle with PTSD, and uh, he was a very he led a chaotic life. And I just wanted to honor him. I wanted to turn his tragedy into something good. And so I started sharing his journey on the Twitter page, and I called it Code of Vets. And veterans just started flocking towards it and they started sharing their journeys with me or they would say, Gretchen, they'd message me and say, hey, Gretchen, I've been on that path or I'm on that path that your dad was on. And they they began to share their needs. So it organically grew and evolved into a grassroots organization. Um, no plan, no business plan. It just it just happened. Um, it, it tr- I truly believe it's a God thing. We're doing sacred work across the country, uh, you know, with very low operating costs. And I I just can't say enough about it. it. It's it's been incredibly successful. And you are out of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And I always mangle that uh, that name. I can ne- my my mouth does not want to pronounce that name correctly. Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So we're right across the border here in Asheville. And um, I'm sure you're aware this area, Western North Carolina, is probably very similar to uh, Eastern uh, Tennessee. We have a lot of veterans uh, in this part. I think we're actually per capita most amount of retired veterans outside. We have no bases here either. But a lot of folks come here and a lot of them do not have housing and this is a huge problem in uh, west north carolina but they also have a great va that's here so i guess how do you do you work it all through the va system or is that is that a separate thing and and you just kind of like let them do their thing and you do yours well, we do partner with the VA at times. We actually have grown to a point now where you do have some case managers throughout the country who will contact us, Code of Vets, to assist veterans when they can't um, do it in a timely way. Hmm. We're, we're really set up as a crisis intervention stopgap assistance while they're waiting for their, their voucher for housing. So we have veterans who are homeless waiting. They're on the voucher list. Sometimes it takes six, nine, 12 months for them to pop up. And in the meantime, they can come to us and we can walk with them and find other resources or we will take them on and pay for their housing until that voucher is in place. 
And so as the VA finds out more about us, they're coming to us more and more, we're finding. But we work outside the VA system, right. but we do, you know, but we do help the veterans get the benefits that they're entitled to and also help them get signed up for that voucher. So what, is it the PTSD that connects to the housing uh, homelessness issue is in the uh, particularly among veterans, because I, like there's this, there's got to be some connection there. I, I, I mean, I, I got to believe because there's there are and they're also trained. Veterans are trained, you know, to not uh, to be able to live outside. Basically, they they've got survival skills that most civilians do not. So, uh, I mean, I got to believe that that plays a role as well. Is that is that your kind of experience with this problem? It does. Oh, it absolutely does. You know, our vets that suffer from PTSD, TBI, or other mental health issues, some, what, what they'll do sometimes, and even my dad did this at times, they will isolate themselves from their family mm. to the point where they are homeless, whether they're li- living in a camper, literally out in the woods at a bus stop or couch surfing in their car. I mean, we've come across all different types of situations. We've had vets living in um, sheds and U-Haul trailers. Uh, yeah, and they can survive. They can do it. But when they get to a point of where they want to reintegrate back into life and they start reaching out uh, and, you know, we find we become aware of them, uh, we just take them under our wing and we find out what resources are in their particular town. We partner with them. And then, you know, I can raise the funds for when it's time to get them into an apartment for security deposit, first month's rent, uh, utilities, turn on fees. We, we can take care of that. But we also fill their apartments with Amazon wish lists, with furniture, all the household goods that they will need to move forward when they're ready for the second chance at life. And, but, and I have to say, though, the veteran has to be at that point where they're they're done, that they want to reintegrate hmm. uh, because if they, you know, sometimes it's a choice. If they want to stay where they are, we can't force the help on them. Oh, that's true. No, yeah, absolutely. In all in all forms of uh, you know charitable work and nonprofit work, that's always the case. Um, so, and that I guess that gets back to that vetting process that you you mentioned earlier. Um, that that really is sort of the the gatekeeper function because if people are donating money to the cause, right, then they want to. They don't want to just, I don't want to say throw it away on somebody because it's obviously going to help them do something in the short term, but you want it to make an impact long lasting. Absolutely. And that's what we're here for is, you know, my my partner, she's been a professional veteran advocate since 2004. She has her Ph.D. in public health. So she has a wealth of resources and has been doing this for so many years that she really does have a good read on our veterans when she's able to discuss their situations. And we do weed the ones out if they're not willing to walk with us and work with us. uh, We can't carry a veteran. We can't. Uh, we can't carry any human being. You know, we're there to assist to get them on a solid path forward in life to give them. We will set them up with long term stability with the resources in their area. But if they're not willing to get out and find a, find a job and, you know, we will help them with a resume. And we'll, we'll do all sorts of things. We'll do whatever it takes to get them back in, you know, to in into society. But if they're not willing to walk that path with us, we can't drag them. So, uh, you know, we have so many success stories, but there have been times when we've started a path with a veteran. We quickly determined, you know, they're they're looking us, at us as just to carry them. And we've had to say, you know what, when you're ready, when you're ready for true change, get back with us. Mm. But, you know, for the most part, when veterans come our way, they're ready. Yeah. And, and I guess they just always generally find you via Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it, we're starting to, you know, it's word of mouth now. Veterans are telling each other, families, combat buddies are sharing our information. So they're finding our website. They're When they take the time to fill out that vet need form, 
you know, that's a good indicator that they're ready for help. So if we do not go out and track veterans down when they come to us, for us, that's, you know, a flag that, hey, I'm ready for help. Yeah. And that's that's, you know, that's how it's turned out to be. So we're we're truly blessed that to have such a system in place where practically all the funds, 98 percent can get to those veterans in crisis because we have so many out there Pete, that need help. More with Gretchen in a minute. First, let me tell you about Real U.S. Military Surplus, where you can find it. It's at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. And uh, Tim has got a whole shipment of body armor that is in. It's already selling very fast. Uh, He actually has some military concertina wire as well. So it's sort of like the the rolls that you see around a military forward operating base or checkpoint. It's like razor wire, except way stronger. Uh, So if you are looking to fortify your mountain retreat, that's a great way to do it. Uh, Also, he's got first aid kits. It's a great item uh, for uh, people who are campers, hikers, uh, or folks who are just trying to start their own uh, readiness bag. First aid kits are a must. Kids camo, pants, t-shirts, jackets, also cold weather gear. This is all military-grade thermal underwear, uh, wool sweaters, military field jackets, solid green and camo, wool and fleece, toboggans, wool socks, Gore-Tex jackets. Old Grouches has everything you need for the winter. Go to oldgrouch.com or go on into the shop. He is open. He's on Main Street in downtown Clyde and across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and, of course, 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. So, Gretchen, when I look at the Twitter feed and your requests, because uh, you put this all out there on on the Twitter feed, they all, it, they're all they all like, you know, $1,000, $1,100. And you tell people, like, this is for utilities and, a, you know, rent check. And it seems like there's a lot. I mean, obviously, with the, the pandemic going on right now, there are a lot of those types of bills that people are struggling to meet. And these are not huge asks for um, you know, for the individual veteran themselves. So it's not like, you know, people are saying, oh, we need $50,000 for this veteran. It's it's a thousand dollars. It's fifteen hundred bucks. Right. That's generally the number. roughly. Yeah. yeah. This year has been so different with the pandemic, with the, with the restrictions and shutdowns. We've we've got really good, hardworking, stable resumes have always been employed. They're reaching out for the first time to any nonprofit in their life because they haven't had a paycheck in several months, whatever savings they had, if they did have one is long gone. And we're looking at evictions, utilities, disconnects, auto repos, food inconsistencies. So that's really been a huge focus for Code of Vets this past year. I'm hoping it changes next year. I don't know, we may have to continue this path. Uh, But right now we have 63 veterans out on Twitter. I put it out in one post, I listed all their names. Um, with the same issue. They're looking at no running water and electricity over the holidays. Um, it's This is 63 veterans with 100 children involved with $77,000 worth of, of basic needs with utilities. It's just overwhelming. You know, we are a small team. We've got a great national reach because of how we function. But I'm telling you what, these numbers are surging right now with those type of basic needs being does the season affect the need as well, the volume? Uh, yes, yes, it does. Veterans are reaching out more. That uh, We've had a lot of veterans in tears because they, they've said we've had to just cancel Christmas in our home. We just can't, we can't even afford to pay our water bill, let alone, you know, uh, get our, you know, a child a couple of toys for Christmas or have a Christmas meal. 
So we, we were able to raise enough funds to order 95 Christmas hams and send those across the country to some vets that we knew that were not going to be having a Christmas dinner. We also took on some veteran families and homeless uh, transitional homes where the, some of the homeless veterans are. And we provided some basic gifts for them through Amazon Wishlist. So mm. we, we, we actually took care of 150 veterans, homeless veterans, um, with some uh, basic needs in Spokane, Washington. We've done it across the country, but that was one of our biggest um, efforts and pushes. And we did that thing in three or four days. So I know there are other organizations, right, that do uh, work for veterans that are much larger than you are. Um, is that do you aspire to be a larger organization? Is there a benefit to being a smaller operation? And I don't even know if you are. I mean, it's two million dollars seems pretty big to me. So I don't know. Like is but I guess I'm thinking, you know, like the big ones with the, you know, the with the acronyms and such. Is that um, is that do you see these as uh, as entities that you that you partner with, that you compare yourself to, that you, that you do overlapping work or you do something totally different? I think I, I think we're unique, and I do not want to become the next Wounded Warriors. They're there for a reason. We have bigger vet orgs in place that can take on some of you know the larger, have a larger impact. But what we do truly is grassroots, and we've assisted over two thousand veterans this year. You know, with that two million dollars we've raised, and I'm and just projecting forward, we're going to be helping even more with more funding. We'll be out. I'm hoping to double the donations next year to four million. And I think that's incredibly doable. So I, I just feel like I found a niche on social media that, that, you know, the vets need a voice out there. And what I do is even though we're not helping 50,000 veterans, you know, even if we have two, four, 6,000 next year, what I'm doing is every day is Veterans Day on Code of Vets. And I'm placing veterans' names there, you know, where they're from, their pictures, and making that heart connection with donors across the country and we're keeping the veterans out there in the forefront. And I'm, you know, I would like to see the media pick up more of these veteran stories because their their journeys are worthy. They need to be told, and our country needs to know what type of issues our veterans are they face on a day to day basis. Because you know, we we need to put them first. Without them, uh, we would not have our freedoms. We would not have our nation. So I I think our veterans platform needs to be elevated. Why do you think it's so difficult? to get the kind of coverage that you're talking about? You know what? I, I, we're just so focused. This there, this year has been such a unique year with COVID, with, the, you know, with the politics, just the, the vitriol with the two parties. Everything's focused, hyper-focused on that, and a lot of issues have fallen by the wayside, and I think veterans is one of those. And Veterans have really struggled with the politics of our country right now and with these shutdowns because they're the ones who secured our nation and they're very protective of our constitution so when we see our freedoms being slowly taken from us or you know it it, it puts some of our veterans in a spiral it puts them in a bad place a dark place they've gone to serve in war-torn countries so that we won't have that in our own nation so you know a lot of them have that fear is what's next if mm-hmm. we can't ca- calm the rhetoric down what's the next step in our country and so you know i i try to keep an upbeat positive view for our veterans they look to us uh, for a little bit of positivity and light because i'm sharing such great things with us taking care of each other but at the same time i have to be realistic and acknowledge that some of their you know their fears and their thoughts um, they're they're valid they yeah. ha- they have a right they have a right to those and and the media you know, they give veterans the, the spotlight once or twice a year, Veterans Day, Memorial Day. And that's, for me, we need to share 
and highlight our veterans every day. <laughs> you know, I love my, that's my heart. It's my passion. They're such beautiful, hardworking people. And oh my gosh, their stories are just amazing. Uh, a lot of them have been in combat and, have, you know, really struggled and, you know, have lost hearing, eyesight, a limb, um, just, you know, suffer mentally and, uh, you know, from PTSD. And we need to sit down and listen to their stories and we need to, you know, assist where we can and make sure that they're stable long term. So how does so someone who has no experience and look, it's probably it's intimidating talking to people in the military if you don't have any frame of reference. If, you know, I'm a civilian, my my father was a Vietnam veteran. And uh, so my that's my sort of experience with it. But um, I, I, I did not serve in the military. So. There is some, you know, there's a barrier there to understanding uh, what people went through. And, you know, it makes you feel like you, there's I don't know what to say. So how, how do I how do I approach people who may be struggling? Um, how does somebody without any kind of expertise or background in the military go up and approach somebody when they're when they obviously have no idea what they must be going through? You know, I just I just think a great way um, to acknowledge a veteran or just to give them that that opening or opportunity to open up if they don't have a support system and you happen to know of that particular vet, just to sit down and be and be genuine. And, you know, when you say thank you for their your service and, you know, what's going on in your life, I really feel like if somebody had sat down with my dad and said, what's going on, brother, and just been, you know, heartfelt and genuine and with no hidden agenda, no, no judgment. Um, some veterans are afraid that they'll be judged. They have taken lives, some of them. Mm -hmm. You know, they have had to do horrific things in a wartime setting and in, in combat. And they, they, I've had quite a few veterans tell me that they have been judged when they have opened up. So it shuts them down and they don't want to share what they've been through. But if you are non judgmental and, you know, just say, let them know that you're there for them, build that trust uh, with them and give them the opportunity to open up. It's just, it works wonders. I feel like we can be a solution um, with our veterans just by letting them know that, you know, we're there. We're simply there. We're not there to tell them what to do, to tell them how to feel, but we're just there to listen and to let them vent. Getting that off, getting it off your chest, I think is, a, it's, it's life and death. Um, it's, it eats away at these vets and it did with my dad like a cancer. And eventually they just crumble underneath those memories that they can't carry anymore so it, it, your your dad sounds um like he had a similar experience as my father did and when he got back from vietnam he did not he never talked to us about it um he uh he we were up in new york he never went to the va i think he went once and was like totally you know against going ever going back um and he it, it taught us a lot about, you know, thanking military members for their service and recognizing them when we see them out. Um, do you think it is better now for uh, for particularly combat veterans uh, than it was for your dad? Yes, we are making progress. There's a lot of work to do, but we have come a long way from Vietnam. Um, you know, when dad got back, he did go to the Asheville, North Carolina. I'm actually from your area. Mm. Um, at Haywood County to be exact, but dad sure. went there when he got back um, from war. He had, he, like I said, he was very chaotic. And I, I think it was a direct reflection on the chaos he felt on the inside. And he went there at reaching out and, and he had been self-medicating with alcohol and drugs and had been in and out of jail, had been, you know, in fights, just trying, he just was out of control and told the doc about it. And he 
this is what was shared with him back in the early 70s is you need to suck it up. You need to shove it way down deep and never mm. speak of it again. And dad was a good soldier. He followed orders and that's what he did. But it was the, the worst advice anybody could ever give a, a soldier mm. is to shove it way down deep because it is it is like a cancer. And my dad, you know, wouldn't talk about it because of that, you know, and. Yes, the VA, I don't think particularly does that anymore, but they did do some damage back in that era when that, that was the mindset was, you know, men were men and you, you shove it way down deep, you know, you just, you, you don't talk about that stuff. And we're seeing progress in that respect, but we still have veterans who feel like when they come back um, and make that transition from military to civilian life, they're... <laughs> There's no assistance with that. They're they're on their own. And if they don't have a family support system or a community support system in place wherever they're transitioning to, it it's very difficult um, to do that alone. And I, we've seen time and time again so many veterans struggle with trying to uh, make it on their own without that camaraderie, without that brotherhood, because the military is such a unique lifestyle. When you come back to civilian life, it's it's hard on our our men and women. To, to transition by themselves uh, again if they have a great family um, they can make that transition it's a you know it is difficult but they got that family there for that support and to help them to get to guide them but for the guys who don't have that that's who we that's who we try to find and assist well and particularly if they went into the military because they came out of a chaotic family situation exactly once they yes. come back home that's what they're returning to yeah, dysfunction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then they have PTSD to deal with on top of it. And right. That's how, you, yeah, that's how we end up with some of our homeless vets and some of our vets who, you know, who kind of get into the court system. And once you get sucked into that criminal justice system, it's hard to get out. And the same thing with uh, homelessness. Once you get, uh, you know, sucked in that cycle of homelessness, it's hard to break out of that. And you you need several hands um, in order to assist in, in providing long-term stability. And we've been able to do that. I think we removed we assisted 52 veterans last year, which is roughly one a week um, from homelessness. It was it's fantastic, and I think we've done a little bit more than that this year. Um, but we've got so many out there, Pete. Oh my gosh, there's so many homeless veterans out there that need help. So if folks want to help, they can go to codeofvets.com. There are 63 veterans as we do this recording uh, with 100 kids, and the total. Uh, ask you put them all together is a, a little over seventy seven thousand dollars people can make the donations via is it via paypal right i saw that as one payment method is there are there other methods are all major methods accepted oh yes on codevets.com you can click on that donate donate link button on the menu up to, in the top right hand corner and you'll have multiple options you can use your credit card checking account paypal i mean we have several options but five dollars ten dollars you know because this is grassroots it's nationwide so when Americans step up by the thousands and donate five, ten dollars. It goes a long way. That's how we have raised the two million dollars and assisted those two thousand veterans. And we like we've got those sixty-three out right now. We have three hundred behind them waiting their turn in line. So the need is real. It's um, for basics. We're stopgap assistance. You know, kind of getting them through these rough times. Uh, and it's amazing. It's amazing what we're accomplishing. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that you think is important or interesting before we let you go? No, I just want to say Merry Christmas to all the veterans out there. And I want you to know that you do have a vet org that's here for you, whatever your need may look like. Um, come give us a try. We will tackle it. Whatever whatever you need, we, we will try to figure out a path forward. Do not do this alone. Um, let's do this as a family. 
Gretchen Smith, U.S. Air Force veteran and founder of Code of Vets, codeofvets.com. Thanks so much for your time, and thank you very much for the work that you do and for your service. But the work you're doing is amazing, and uh, keep it up, and best of luck. Thank you, Pete. All right. Now, here's a great deal for veterans, by the way. If you are thinking of buying or selling a house in the Asheville area, then you got to use Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team because she's the only official Homes for Heroes real estate agent uh, in the area. Homes for Heroes is a national program, but they designate one realtor per location, uh, and that realtor then can offer uh, folks in the military, veterans, active duty, retirees, uh, as well as police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, and educators. They can offer them 25% back from the realtor commissions. Rowena Patton has been doing this for years. She has given back almost $800,000 so far to local folks, which is pretty amazing when you consider the fact that there isn't even a major military installation uh, or base or anything you know here in the Asheville area. So if you're in any of those five professions, I don't know why you would use any other real estate agent unless, of course, you're just trying to you know give your money away to somebody, which is fine, I guess. Uh, Tis the season. But if you want to keep your own money, buying or selling, call the only agent that I called Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. The number 333-4483. That's 828-333-4483. Mountainhomehunt.com is the website. And once you call her, start packing because she will get your household fast and for more money. It's what she does. She outsells 99% of the real estate agents in the state of North Carolina. So uh, again, 333-4483 and start packing. Okay. So shifting gears now, some pretty big news uh, over the holiday break here regarding asymptomatic transmission of COVID-19. Now, this is really important because the asymptomatic spread uh, uh, theory has been the root cause of virtually all of the executive orders and the lockdowns and mask mandates. The, I mean, you look at North Carolina, we still don't have bars that are allowed to open unless they have a parking lot, you know, the size of a basketball court. Uh, and even then they can only put like, you know, 30 people uh, in that space. Uh, and some bars, if you don't have that outdoor space in North Carolina, you can't even open at all. And why is that? There is a belief that people don't have symptoms, but they are able to transmit the virus, right? So you're just walking around. You're like, oh, I feel fine. And hey, there's my old friend. I'm going to go outside uh, and see them on the street. And we're going to talk with each other, maybe give them a hug. And I didn't even know I had the COVID-19 virus and now they're dead, right? Like that's been the fear. That's been the messaging around this from the very beginning because there was a belief that people who don't have symptoms are spreading the virus and that's actually the cause. It's not really the people who are hacking and coughing because honestly, right, if you're out at a bar and... Uh, you see somebody walk in and they're hacking and sneezing and coughing and like, oh, I got such a fever. Like, you're probably not going to be uh, hitting on that person at the bar. You're probably not going to be, you know, sauntering on up to them like, hey, what's going on, little COVID head? Like, you're you're not going to go near the person because they are obviously sick. And probably they're going to be asked to leave and then the bar is going to have to sanitize the whole place. But if you walk into that bar and you see somebody and they're like, oh, I'm perfectly fine and healthy. I don't have any problems. I'm not coughing. I'm not sneezing. But oh, my God, they got COVID, too. Right. So you didn't even know. And that's how you get sick. And then you die. Right. Like that's been the message from the very beginning. So what if it turns out that asymptomatic spread doesn't actually occur? That would change everything, don't you think? A study of almost 10 million people in Wuhan, China. Now, I recognize this is coming from Wuhan, China. 
And, and first off, am I allowed to say it's a Wuhan study? Can I say it's a Wuhan study? Because when I was calling it Wuhan flu, I was accused of being a racist. So, so I guess this would just be the 2020 study, the 2020 asymptomatic study. Is that what we call it? Anyway, 10 million. This is also amazing because Wuhan has like 11 million people and uh, which is more than North Carolina. Okay, so this this Wuhan city has more people in it than the entire state of North Carolina. And they did a study of about 10 million of them. That's amazing. It's like 90% of all the people in the city, they got, uh, they were part of this study, which I guess it's one of the benefits of a totalitarian state that the commies are running over, right? It does have its benefits. So the asymptomatic spread of COVID-19, according to this study, did not occur at all, thus undermining the need for lockdowns, which are built on the premise of the virus being unwittingly spread by infectious asymptomatic people. This is from LifeSiteNews.com. Published in November in the scientific journal Nature Communications, the paper was compiled by 19 scientists, mainly from the Huazhong University of Science and Technology in Wuhan, but also from scientific institutions across China, as well as in the UK and Australia. It focused on the residents of Wuhan, ground zero for COVID-19, where 9.9 million people took part in a screening program between May 14th and June 1st, which provided clear results as to the possibility of any symptomatic transmission of the virus. This is pretty important. And I'm wondering if this study was published in November, why are we all just finding out about it now? Why is it getting coverage now? What possible uh, explanation could there be for a study that would undermine the asymptomatic spread theory, thus, uh, you know, opening up the economy again? Why would this study not be getting any kind of coverage during November versus December? What possibly could have occurred? Was there some sort of an event that transpired in November that like we marked time before and then after, and then after this event passed, it's like, okay, now we can learn about this information. I'm drawing a blank. Whatever could it be? Back to the story. Asymptomatic transmission has been the underlying justification of lockdowns enforced all across the world. The most recent guidance from the CDC still states that the virus can be spread by people who do not have symptoms. And in fact, the CDC claims that asymptomatic people, quote, are estimated to account for more than 50% of transmissions. So why is the CDC on its website saying something that now studies have shown isn't happening? Why are they why are they not adapting to the new information? I know it's, you know, it's a problem with large institutions, whether they're, you know, private corporations or government, uh, you know, bureaucracies, then you have a problem adapting quickly to new information, which really has been a problem in all of this response is that you have these very large institutions that are predisposed to maintaining status quo and conventional wisdom. And uh, they are they're just not they're not well equipped to be nimble and to react immediately, right, to changing events and information, which is what has been required of all of us. And we are not equipped for it either. Our society, basically humans, right, we are, we're not equipped to be uh, taking this new information and saying, oh, okay, well, let's, let's pivot and do something else, because that would require us acknowledging that we got something wrong. And in today's day and age, I don't think that's allowed. 
You're not allowed to say you did anything wrong, especially if you are in charge of a corporation or a government agency. Uh, You are not allowed to say, well, you know what? We locked everybody down and we thought everybody was getting sick from the asymptomatic spread. And it turns out that wasn't the case. So nobody actually got sick from asymptomatic spread. But we did put a lot of people out of business and we did have a mass uh, you know, uh, 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 increase in suicides and depression and alcoholism. Uh, so we did have all of these negative ramifications that cost people's uh, lives and livelihoods as well. So sorry about that, but I, I made the best decision I could at the time with the limited information I had. You see what what that sounds like? That's why politicians don't want this to be true. I suspect they don't want to have to pivot. But it, it is noteworthy that in North Carolina, our governor is still using lockdowns as a potential threat, as a stick, right? Do what I say, wear the masks more, social distance more, which again, all of that is predicated on the asymptomatic spread too. Because if you're sick, you should not be going out around people, okay? Like, that's the main point here. If you are sick, if you have symptoms, you should not be traveling around and hanging out with people. Uh, The problem is COVID has symptoms that are very much like every other kind of sickness, except for the loss of the sense of uh, uh, taste and smell, right? That's a unique one. But all of the others, like, oh, my gosh, I got a bit of a headache. Okay. You got some sniffles. Oh, really? At this time of year? That's crazy. Coughing, sneezing. Um, The fever is a dead giveaway, but it's just a fever or it's just a giveaway that you could have something else that also has a fever, right, associated with it. So the symptoms are very much like a great many other types of illnesses that usually peak around this time every year also. But if you're sick, stay home. If you are sick, don't go out and about with other people, okay? But it is interesting, it's noteworthy that the idea, the threat of lockdowns is still being used in order to get people to comply with various executive orders that the governor is still issuing, and I suspect will issue uh, again very soon, if not before the new year, then immediately after. Um, By the way, here's something that I've been doing in order to... um, to get a deeper night's sleep every night, it's I take a couple of CBD oil drops, CBD drops from Growers Hemp. They're the only CBD products I've ever used, and I trust them. Growers Hemp is a North Carolina company. They're, they were created by farmers. These are farmers that said, you know what? We're growing the crop. Why don't we control the whole process? And they do. From seed to shelf, growershemp.com is the website. Uh, they control it all, which means higher quality for you and lower prices and you're supporting the family farms and that's how they benefit as well as well they get to keep their family farm operating right under this um under this new industry because it is a very the hemp industry is brand new this is like um there are a lot of people rushing into this space in the uh economy Uh, a lot of people came into north carolina after cbd products became legal and they were you know parachuting in from california with these you know, pie in the sky promises and stuff to a lot of farmers, and then they skip town. So uh, these guys at Growers Hemp, they said, you know what, we can do this better. We can do this ethically, and we can actually help farmers and people on their wellness journey. So I take the drops. I go, I take a couple before I go to bed. I sleep more deeply than I ever have in my entire life. Uh, so like they work for me. And because um, I've always been a very light sleeper and uh, usually it would take me a pretty long time to fall asleep in the first place. Ever since I started taking CBD 
uh, drops, and they do have uh, uh, topicals as well for you know people take it for joint pain and stuff. They have lozenges as well. They got uh, different flavors um, for the CBD oil, and you know a lot of people, by the way, have questions, so they want to help you answer any question you have. Uh, you just contact them. They're at GrowersHemp.com and use the promo code Pete for twenty percent off. GrowersHemp.com promo code Pete. For 20% off. As with all CBD products, here is the official disclaimer that government requires. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So, please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Again, GrowersHemp.com, from North Carolina farmers to you, to your home, Growers Hemp is about the hemp and not the hype. So, out of the nearly 10 million people in this study in Wuhan, 300 asymptomatic cases were found. Think about that. 10 million people, (laughs) and they found 300 asymptomatic cases. So then they did contact tracing. uh, And they found out of those 300... You know how many of the cases uh, found COVID-19, that they detected COVID-19 in the 300? So they, they, they test 10 million people in the study. They find 300 asymptomatic cases, they say. And so then they contact Trace to find out um, who around them has it and uh, you know what kind of COVID-19 symptoms do you have eventually? Does it manifest and all that? And they, they find out of the 300 asymptomatic cases... Zero. <laughs> Zero COVID. <laughs> well, wh- how? Do you remember all of the topics we've been doing on this show about the PCR tests? Do you remember those topics? Pretty important right now. If you have an understanding of the PCR tests and the cycle threshold and why that matters, then this makes a lot more sense. This development makes a lot more sense. I'll get into the PCR test, but this makes a lot more sense to folks who have that initial base of understanding. So um, a total of 1,174 close contacts of the asymptomatic positive cases were traced and every single one of them tested negative for COVID-19. So they found 300 people who tested with the uh, with the COVID-19 and then they were like, all right, contact trace everybody you've been around. And those 300 people have been around about 1,200 people. Those 1,200 people, every single one of them tested negative, which means what? The asymptomatic people did not spread it to any of the people that they were around. That's what that means. Further evidence showed that virus cultures in the positive and repositive asymptomatic cases were all negative, indicating no viable virus in positive cases that were detected in the study. No viable virus. Again, if you understand the PCR tests, this makes a lot of sense. Next up, these results are not without precedent either. Back in June, Dr. Maria Van Kerkhove, head of the World Health Organization's Emerging Diseases and Zoonosis Unit, shed doubt upon asymptomatic transmission. Speaking at a press conference, she explained, quote, from the data we have, it still seems to be rare that an asymptomatic person actually transmits onward to a secondary individual. It's very rare, she said. She could also not point to a single case of asymptomatic transmission. This was back in June. 
Her comments went against the predominant narrative, though, that that was being used to justify the lockdowns. So the WHO does a U-turn, and the next day, this doctor comes out and declares that asymptomatic transmission was a really complex question, and we really don't have all of the answers yet on that, actually. Such a large scientific study of 10 million people from Wuhan should not be overlooked. Jeffrey Tucker, uh, arguing at uh, AIER, the American Institute for Economic Research, I think is what it's called. Yeah, AIER. He says it should be huge news and it should pave the way to open up everything immediately. Yet media reports have been virtually non-existent and ignored a fact that Tucker says, quote, the lockdown lobby ignores whatever contradicts their narrative. He says with solid evidence that that asymptomatic spread is nonsense. We now have to start asking who is making these decisions and why. That is the question. That is the question. If the asymptomatic stuff is not happening, if this asymptomatic spread is not happening, then why are people still pushing for more lockdowns? Now, I'm under no illusion that anybody in the North Carolina press corps is going to ask our governor this question at any of his, you know, now once a week COVID updates. He'll get out there and he'll, you know, he'll bring somebody out or he'll have some new initiative or, you know, something that that focuses all of the reporter's attention onto what he wants them to focus on. And he'll take, you know, 10 questions and uh, they will all be from, you know, certain approved uh, non-hostile media outlets. And uh, and then he'll, you know, close it down after 40 minutes and wait till next week and do it all again. And these types of questions don't ever get asked. Unless, of course, as we spoke with Jessica Thompson last week, she's the lawyer uh, representing some bar owners in Greenville, North Carolina, uh, unless she's successful in uh, they filed a lawsuit against the governor over his executive orders, locking down the bars. uh, And if uh, if they actually get into court and Cooper fights and you know tries to defend these executive orders that's going to mean uh there's going to be depositions and if there are depositions that means the bar owners lawyers the pacific legal foundation jessica thompson they're going to be able to ask who's making these decisions and we're finally going to find out who exactly has been advising the governor on all of this stuff because there needs to be and i know people have filed foia requests there needs to be a great unearthing of all of the the communications who is talking to whom about what behind the scenes behind the curtain we need to know for transparency and credibility by the way we need to know who's been who's been calling the shots who's been making these types of decisions just my opinion what do i know i'm just a little old podcaster um i do know this though that if you are trying to do a job and um, you don't have the tools to do that job. I don't care what job it is. If you don't have the right tools, uh, you're probably not going to be able to get the job done. And if you do, you're not going to be able to get it done well. You need the right tools for the job. And that's what General Equipment Rental is all about, getting people the right tools for the job they're trying to do. By the way, if you're trying to disinfect your entire establishment, they have the Karcher Mister system, which you just roll through your establishment, spray everything down. It's all non-toxic. And then you're you're sanitized. You're disinfected. You're good to go. And uh, you do that like once a week. If you're trying to, uh, I don't know, put in a new driveway, you're going to need to move some earth. Pretty big undertaking, but you can do it. Um, 
Get yourself a tool, get yourself a piece of equipment, earth-moving equipment, from General Equipment Rental. Maybe you want to do some tile work, but you don't have a saw. Get a tile-cutting saw from General Equipment Rental. Maybe you want to, I don't know, pressure wash the side of your house, but it's kind of high up there and you don't have a ladder. You know what you can rent? Scaffolding. And you can climb up there and do it safely, right? All of the all of the, the tools that you need to do the job that you want to do, either at your home or if you're a contractor, they're at General Equipment Rental, and they will show you how to use the tool correctly. So, um, you know, obviously you don't break their tool, but but you, so you do it right, and it's easy, and you finish the job on time. So go check them out, General Equipment Rental. Their website is generalrents.com, but they are located at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road in Weaverville. They are family-owned and operated. They have been for three generations. These are great people, great members of the community, and uh, like I said, they want to help you get your job done right with the proper tool uh, and equipment. So head on over there. Tell them you heard it here. Big thank you for that, by the way. Tell them you heard it on the show. Uh, general equipment rental general rents.com and think outside your toolbox so i mentioned the pcr tests. why are these important and the cycle threshold uh, specifically pcr tests are the the nasal swab stuff right and without getting into the sciencey aspect of it all the uh the tests basically they take some of your material out of your nose right and they run it through their machine and the number of times they run it through these cycles uh means that they go deeper and deeper down into the material to find the remnants of what they believe is the COVID-19 RNA, okay? Like these, the genetic material of the virus, okay? That's what they're looking for. And so the more times they run their cycles, the deeper it goes. And it goes like on, a, on an order of magnitude of a doubling every time they run another cycle. So the first cycle is, you know, think of it like a magnifying glass is a 1x. The second one would be 2x. The third would be 4 then four goes to eight, eight goes to 16, then to 32. And you just keep doing that per cycle, right? The recommendation for, and this is what the epidemiologists, the virologists all over the world, they're all like, you need to run the cycle threshold. The number of times you run the cycles, it needs to be about 30, no more than 30. Anything more than that, you're going too deep. You're looking for uh, too small of particles of material, and if you find it, you're going to tell somebody they're positive and they may not actually be infectious, right? So stick to 30, okay? Problem. North Carolina labs run it at 37. Some states run it at 40. That's the upper end. That's the max is like 40. And uh, you're, what, which means you're finding way more positive cases than are actually infectious people, okay? So whenever you hear the case count number, know that the case count is based off of these PCR tests, which are being run at too high of a cycle threshold, which means you got a lot of people that trip a positive that don't actually have it right now. They're not infectious right now. And that's the whole reason, right? That's the whole reason you're testing people is to find out, are they contagious? Okay. Earlier estimates that 80% of infections are asymptomatic were way too high, obviously. This is from a, a, a piece, a paper uh, at the BMJ, which is a weekly peer-reviewed medical trade journal published by the trade union, the British Medical Association. It's one of the world's oldest medical journals. They say it's unclear to what extent people with no symptoms transmit SARS-CoV-2. Uh, the uh, only test for live virus is viral culture. PCR and lateral flow tests do not distinguish live virus. 
What does that mean? Right? Again, people who have an understanding of the PCR testing, they know what this means. This is a new paper that just was published, uh, what, three, uh, four days ago. Um, the only test for live virus is viral culture. PCR and lateral flow tests do not distinguish live virus. It means you're not contagious. No test of infection or infectiousness is currently available for routine use. So this is part of the reason why everybody uses the PCR test is because there's no other way to know whether someone actually is contagious with this thing. As things stand, a person who tests positive with any kind of test may or may not have an active infection with live virus and may or may not be infectious. So they don't know. It's been what now uh 10 months and they still don't know and the tests that we're using the manufacturer the pcr test the manufacturer says these should not be used for diagnosis <laughs> they tell you that these are not diagnostic tools you should not be using these pcr tests to say you have covid19 and are contagious because it's not testing for that the relations between viral load, viral shedding, infection, infectiousness, and duration of infectiousness are not well understood, it says. In a recent systematic review, no study was able to culture live virus from symptomatic participants after the ninth day of illness, despite persistently high viral loads in PCR tests. So they're getting the PCR test. Nine, 10 days after they get sick and they're getting the PCR tests every day, whatever, by the ninth day, after the ninth day, the viral load is still massive, right? They're, it's still massive, but they're not spreading it. And none of the viral load and none of the virus, the culture is alive. Cycle threshold values from PCR tests are not direct measures of viral load and are subject to error. You don't say, really, who would have guessed? All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. And please remember, subscribe to the podcast. And uh, if you like it, give it a positive review. I appreciate that. And uh, also, if you really like it, you want to support the show, consider becoming a patron of the program. Also, please support the businesses that support the show. Uh, if you become a patron, you get cool stuff and exclusive content. The links are at thepetecalendarshow.com. Uh, and uh, again, thanks so much for listening and the support. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Mm -hmm.